Hi there, Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield. Molly here with your latest edition of the Mark Report. Well, you might have noticed that life is beginning to return to normal here on Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield. And that means that on-post services are resuming operations and DOD civilian employees are finally returning back to work after almost a year of telework. I am joined by Sarah from Legal Employment Law and Harshin from EEO to help us make sense of exactly what this means and what we can expect now. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, all right, so most of us have been in some sort of telework status for about a year now. What exactly does returning to work mean? Well, Molly, um, actually it's just returning to the work site. So um, employees will now, instead of their place of duty being off-site at their home, uh, they will now return to the actual office building that they used to occupy before. Uh, yeah. Basically, everybody should be notified by their managers and, and the managers will start bringing people back in. They'll have a couple of weeks to kind of get their ducks in a row and um, should they have any issues, so you know, it's an open dialogue. It's always the back and forth and it's really important that both the managers and the employees keep those lines of communication open so the employees can let the managers know if there's any issues with coming back to work on Fort Stewart and the managers can let the employees know when they're expected to return. Sure, sure. So what information do you all have for employees who may have reservations over returning to work uh, due, you know, to, to still the remaining fear of COVID-19? So Molly, this, one of the things that we looked at, uh, or not only just we, but the uh, EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission looked at is a lot of the factors that came in, came with COVID-19. COVID-19, individuals who have a predis uh, predisposure to, uh, uh, to the disease based mm -hmm. off of their age, mm -hmm. and their desire and need to be in an environment where they don't have to, you know, necessarily uh, be exposed to it. Sure. So uh, a lot of people, uh, Supervisors made the decision to ensure that these individuals had the opportunity to work from home. And as they're coming back, a lot of individuals are saying, hey, I want to stay teleworking because of these issues. Right. Uh, one of the things that we, we talked extensively about is a reasonable accommodation. But at the same time, a reasonable accommodation isn't designed for an individual to telework full time. It right. is designed to ensure that the individual has an ability to be in an environment where their disability is looked at, it is communicated with the supervisor through an open dialogue, like Sarah said, mm -hmm. and not only that, but provide them with an accommodation that both fits for the employee and the agency that's, that's providing that, tele I mean, that, uh, that uh, accommodation. Sure. Yeah, so basically, if they have any of those comorbidities that the CDC talked about, where if they did catch COVID-19, they would be more likely to have a more severe case of COVID-19, they should make their supervisor aware that those comorbidities within themselves still exist mm -hmm. and ask if there's something that could be done to lessen the exposure risks to COVID-19 in the workplace. Now, sometimes that's done, like Hershey's sensor telework, but that's not always the, the stock answer. Other times it's done with ensuring uh, distance and ensuring that uh, unvaccinated people who could still potentially carry the disease um, are wearing masks, which is gonna mm -hmm. be the new policy I think you guys are gonna talk about a little later. Yeah. Um, but also ensuring that the, the hand washing stations are still in place or the, the sanitizing stations. Um, potentially putting in plexiglass, 
maybe making sure that the person has an office to themselves. Um, all these things can um, be worked at and through this open dialogue and communication that we've talked about um, through kind of the reasonable accommodation practice. But the first step is that the employee raises the concern and then is willing to engage in, in a discussion. See, a lot of people, so a lot of employees have the misconception that if I have these comorbidities, mm -hmm. then guess what? You have to give me what I'm asking for, which is telework. And that's not necessarily true. There's a lot of positions here that require them to have face-to-face -face contact with customers. Sure. So an alternate accommodation, according to all the regulations, is still an accommodation. Uh, it, an accommodate, I, I tell all employees and supervisors, when an individual requests for accommodations, it's not Christmas. They don't get the gift that they're asking for. But they're, yeah. What happens is it is a dialogue between the supervisor and the employee, and they come to an understanding of what is the best way, best means and measures to accommodate that employee so that their disability, again, their disability is not necessary. Uh, you provide them with the accommodation so they can enjoy the means of employment through having a disability. Yeah. So. There are a lot of people who were put on, or employees put on telework that didn't have a disability, but then say, hey, I still want to telework, and therefore I should get a reasonable accommodation. Mm -hmm. That's not what the process is there for. The process mm -hmm. isn't there to ensure individuals who were teleworking and enjoy teleworking can stay on teleworking. The process is really there to ensure that individuals with disabilities enjoy the benefits of employment, and that means even at the location in which they're their duties and uh, are, are at. Yeah, so for example, if somebody is having issues, um, let's say with childcare or with school, or with having to care for a, a loved one, or is worried about potentially being exposed to COVID-19, and then coming home where their loved ones have these comorbidities, none of those situations would be appropriate for the reasonable accommodation process. Okay. So reasonable accommodation is always something that you yourself um, are dealing with. And, and so if they had any of those other situations, though, it is still incumbent upon the employee to let their manager know, and potentially they might be able to work through something. There are still some leave authorities in place right now um, that Congress has passed, especially with an eye towards child care, but I do know that more and more schools are starting to open up, and, mm -hmm. and so not just for Stewart getting back to normal, fortunately, and and we've been blessed enough in this area of the country that, you know, our our Life. schools yeah. exactly Life is getting back to normal. And and yeah. everything I think concerts are starting to happen yeah. again okay. and everything. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, but definitely the the key though is to always keep that communication, those lines of communications open. Don't assume that your boss knows what's going on or that your boss is gonna ask you about it. You know, make sure that, that your boss knows and then try to work together um, but everybody needs to maintain their flexibility because our normal operating picture is with people on the installation so this has been of course extraordinary times and unusual circumstances but fortunately like you said Molly they're starting to, to come to a close um, and hopefully we're getting the tiger by the tail on this one and yeah. then we're just, just going to move back to what normal was and not necessarily a new normal so correct and, and one of the things i'll tell individuals is do not be afraid of the process managers or employees uh, it's there in order to assist you through the decision making uh, you have phenomenal experts like sarah who will definitely provide advice 
you have individuals at the CPAC or the Civilian uh, Personnel Advisory Center that will provide advice, and you have someone from my office, the Disabilities Program Manager, that provides advice so that that's, that supervisor, that manager, doesn't just make a decision without going to the experts, but they make an informed decision to assist the employee with that accommodation request. Rather, it's, it, it's, it's hey, we're going to make sure that we uh, assist you and telework may be one of those areas, mm -hmm. or an alternate accommodation where you're coming back to the office and we're gonna put these things in place to mitigate any issues that you may raise. So those experts are there to assist. So don't be afraid of the process. Uh, oftentimes I get individuals giving me a call and saying, I don't like the way it's going, I should get X, Y, and Z. I'm like, look, do not be afraid of the process. The process is there to assist the agency, the employees, and, and, and supervisors. Great. Yeah, and then the other thing would be, um, even if there are other situations that come up with that, that maybe are not reasonable accommodation appropriate, again, rely on your experts. You know, go and, and talk to the labor management employee relations specialist. Go and talk to, if you're a manager, go and talk to CPAC or, um, you know, get in touch with me and we'll, we'll help you and help everyone get to where they need to be and do it abiding by all the laws and the regulations that are in place because as you know this stuff changing pretty quickly of course yeah. um so we don't expect the managers or the employees really to know the latest and greatest on everything but there are people who do and so um they shouldn't be afraid to reach out for assistance well this has been just super helpful information um i know for one just being a dod civilian myself I'm really happy to see everybody's smiling faces back in the office. So I'm ready for this um, for this to get back to normal, and I hope that uh, the majority of our installation is also ready to get back to normal. Um, I think it's going to be really good and refreshing for everyone. Um, do either of you have anything else that you would like to add before before we close out? Uh, just one last thing, you know, everybody is, of course, keeping safety at the forefront of mind, mm -hmm. but they are still wanting the smiling faces around. So I think there is a way that both can be accomplished. And, yeah. um, you know, just been, I just want everybody to look at it as a cooperative process and not a combative process. Right. This process is not there to, uh, as a disciplinary measure. This process is literally there to assist and to provide assistance to employees who may have disabilities. Uh, one thing I will say at the end of this is that uh, we're here. If you have any questions, please give us a call. We don't turn anyone away. We provide information, and then you can take that information to make those decisions uh, that are necessary, both the supervisor and the employees. Yeah. But again, uh, reasonable accommodation isn't Christmas. It is a process to support the individual with disability and to make sure that uh, individuals receive the support that they need, in the, especially within the work environment sure. during this time, COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that one, one question that a lot of our employees that are returning to work have is um, whether you are vaccinated or you're not vaccinated. Um, how, how does one even tell if someone is vaccinated versus if they're not? Who has to wear a mask and who doesn't? Are you able to help me clarify some of those questions? In the reasonable accommodation realm, vaccination is not a factor in the decision-making process. Uh, so that's something that's not gonna come up. Uh, what will come up is, 
the individual with a disability and if they are able to perform the essential functions with or without that accommodation. Okay. And what I, about HIPAA? Exactly. That's <laughs> it. I was sorry, Molly. I just I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was just going to chime in with that. So I know a lot of people are going to be concerned, like, hey, who has the right to ask me this question? Do I have to answer it? Um, this is my medical information. What about HIPAA? And what about the Rehabilitative Act, right? Which is the federal version of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. So like Harshin said right there, vaccination is not really an issue as far as uh, reasonable accommodation or even uh, American with Disabilities Act uh, or Rehab Act comes into play. It's not a violation of those laws to ask if somebody's been vaccinated because it's not a medical inquiry. So that takes the ADA and the Rehab Act off the table. So that leaves us with the big monster in the room, HIPAA, right? Which mm -hmm. everybody is very concerned about their medical information and who gets to know it and how it's kept. Um, Again, I will say that asking whether or not somebody is vaccinated is not a medical inquiry. So there's no, um, the general order one that I think you guys are gonna cover in the next segment has talked about how you can ask for purposes of determining who needs to wear a mask or who doesn't need to wear a mask. And then that's it, you, you let it go. It is, um, you don't require proof, you don't ask follow-on questions, um, the people who are authorized to ask according to GO1 are supervisors, so th there really shouldn't be a lot of, you know, peer-to-peer -peer communication about this. I mean, obviously you're free to talk to whoever you want about whatever you want, mm -hmm. but do realize that when you have side conversations with people about your medical history, that that's, you're sharing your medical information, and right. then other people are free to do whatever they want with whatever secret you told them. Right. So, um, but as far as officially goes, yeah, it won't be a violation of HIPAA if, you're, if your supervisor asks. But again, we're all relying on everybody being, you know, honest about it. And, and then we're relying on supervisors to only ask that one question and then to drop it. So sure. that should really be the only inquiry and that should be as far as it goes. But it's not a HIPAA violation. Great. Well, thank you both so much for being here with me today. Um, and like I said, hopefully this clarifies a lot for our DOD civilian employees out there who have just returned to work or who are preparing to return to work very soon. Um, all right, folks, so please make sure that you stay tuned. Uh, after this short break, we will actually be discussing the updated on-post mask policy. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to clarify some of that confusion for everyone as well. Thanks, y'all. Hey, hey, everybody. Have you downloaded the Digital Garrison app yet? This awesome app is a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield with real-time information to keep our military community connected. In addition to online shopping through APHES, users can access customized information, such as gate hours, an installation directory, installation news and events, facility information, push notifications, and more. The Digital Garrison app is available for free on both iPhone and Android devices. Welcome back to the Marn Report, y'all. I am now joined by our friends from MWR, Michelle and Tyler, and they are going to discuss how the new mask mandate affects their facilities on Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield. Uh, thanks for being here with me, guys. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. <laughs> so what does this new mask guidance mean for MWR? 
Well, I'd say in some ways it's a good sign that things are returning to normal after a very long year of a lot of operational uncertainty. Um, so in our bowling centers, uh, golf courses, um, outdoor recreation, as we see in the guidance, if you're vaccinated, no need to wear the mask. Um, if you're not vaccinated, as the guidance says, uh, we ask people to please wear their masks. Um, but we are just really excited more than anything to be returning back to normal. Sure. Now, I think, Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong, where masks are still required is inside all of our child and youth services. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we are still uh, requiring masks for any child and youth service uh, facility. So that includes the child development centers, school age centers, and youth sports. Now, outdoor um, activities that are happening in youth sports, it's, they're going to be abiding by the CDC recommendations. But yeah, other than that. Right. So that's pretty much similar to like a hospital. Lots of our kids have not had the opportunity to be vaccinated yet. So parents, whether you are vaccinated or not, you still need to make sure that you are wearing your masks inside those facilities when you drop your kids off and when you pick them up, correct? Yes. Great, mm -hmm. great. Um, so when COVID first started, a lot of MWR facilities, we saw them close temporarily um, just, you know, due to just trying to keep everybody safe. But now I've noticed that there are some facilities that are starting to open back up. Um, what do you guys have going on um, that's new or that's finally come back that our soldiers, family members can enjoy? Well, we can say that for the short period of time that we were under quarantine, mm -hmm. um, we took full advantage of the opportunity to reassess all of our processes, um, to include a little bit of interior decorating in our activities. We've repainted, reorganized, repriced, um, and really paid attention to sales trends in our food and beverage, as well as our outdoor recreation arenas. And we reopened, even at a limited capacity, to really offer what was of value to the community. So an outdoor rec that was boats, grills, coolers, canoes, kayaks, as folks are really getting uh, back outside. In our bowling center, it was limited for a little while, uh, but I can tell you now that uh, we are open and during our time, we've renovated the facility. We've also added uh, eSports gaming pods, uh, as well as dart boards, pool tables, and really just expanded our offerings in there. Yeah, it's looking really great in there. Yeah. And then more recently, the library. So um, they are operating at a limited capacity, but they are open. So that's something very exciting that um, our patrons are, are excited that they've got now. So. Sure. So let's talk about the, one, the facilities that everyone is wondering about the gyms. Um, tell us about mask guidelines within the fitness centers. Okay, so the mask guidelines uh, are a little different, but obviously they're changing with the new guidance. So whenever you're working out, no masks are required. But looking back at the guidance, um, if you are vaccinated, you do not have to wear a mask. If you are not vaccinated, you should wear a mask. Um, and that is right now the most simplest guidance that we could probably abide by all of our fitness centers, both here at Stewart as well as Hunter. Great, great, perfect. Uh, well, is there anything else that you guys would like to add? You know, so we've just been, you know, very focused on our families since quarantine and reopening. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's our pet boarding, our child and youth services, intramural sports, youth sports, concerts that we've put on for Marn Week, yeah. we have been really just focused on trying to provide some sense of normal since COVID broke out for our community. And we could not be happier to be reopening um, our doors back to this community. And we encourage everyone to come and 
see what we have available and what we've done and just know that when you support MWR, all of that revenue actually comes back into your community for your following fiscal years. So Sure. Well, we certainly appreciate everything that you guys do for our soldiers, family members, retirees, civilians. Uh, you guys have a great thing going over there at MWR. So you heard it here first, folks. You better get out there and check out all of the awesome things that they have to offer. Your installation exchange is now open to Department of Defense civilians. The exchange has everything you need to look your best right on the installation where you work. Remember though, DOD civilians can't buy alcohol or tobacco. But from electronics, toys, and more, your exchange has it all, tax-free and convenient to you. And shopping in person is so easy. Just make sure to show your DOD ID at the point of sale and off you go. And don't forget, coming soon, online shopping via the awesome Digital Garrison app. Stop by the Fort Stewart Hunter Army Airfield Exchange today to see what they have for you. So last Friday, the Department of Defense updated its mask mandate across the enterprise. And to fall in line with this mandate, Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield updated General Order Number 1. The most notable change being that individuals who are 14 days past their second vaccine can go mask-free in most facilities on post. But this doesn't mean that you can forget those masks altogether because there are still some locations on post where masks will still be required regardless of your vaccination status. Some of these facilities include post on post schools, child development centers, the hospital and other medical facilities, and of course those COVID-19 vaccination sites. So today I am joined uh, by Lieutenant Colonel Gartside. He is the division surgeon and he is here to help us make sense of this new mask mandate. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, thank you, Ms. Cook, and thanks for having me on the Martin Report. Of course. Um, so I think the burning question that everyone has is, how does this new mandate affect our soldiers, families, retirees, and DA civilians? Well, Molly, the, the, the effect on our, on our soldiers and their family members and our civilians is, is, is really just one of, of safety and force health protection. Uh, and so what, what the new um, policy does is it, it actually just um, clarifies who needs to wear a mask and who does not if they have the additional protection of being vaccinated. Right. Um, and so from a, from a health protection standpoint, there's no real um, safety need to, to have the, the, the vaccinated personnel um, on post wear masks, except in those facilities that you had mentioned, uh, where we're still requiring uh, all people, including fully vaccinated, um, to wear masks in our schools, in our child development centers, hospitals, medical and dental clinics, and at our COVID vaccination sites. Um, and the reason for that is in those facilities, we tend to have, um, at least for the hospitals um, and, the, the, and in, the, in, in the clinics, we, we, we tend to see uh, obviously a higher um, concentration of, of, of people with illnesses there. Sure. Um, and so just as that additional force protection measure um, we're, we're keeping that um, mask mandate in effect there. Yeah, and makes sense. As an additional protection for the schools um, as well, just because most of our, our children have, have not um, thus far had a chance to be vaccinated. Right. Uh, Pfizer had just gotten the okay to, to uh, allow vaccinations of, of children ages 12 to 17, but not a lot of people have had that opportunity yet. Right. Um, so one of the questions, and, and you kind of touched on it, that we seem to be, we've heard a lot this week, um, would be 
and and you did already kind of touch on it, but if I'm already vaccinated, uh, why can't I just go mask free everywhere? Um, and if I'm not vaccinated, that's my right to not be vaccinated. So why am I being punished to wear these masks? Can you can you help us kind of understand that a little bit more? Sure, Molly. So the 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 the, the mask requirement on post it it it, it isn't designed to, to be a punishment. Uh, it's designed to be a force health protection measure. Um, in accordance with our, our, our general order num- in, in, number one and in accordance with the DOD policy. Uh, and those policies are um, still in accordance with um, CDC guidance for those, uh, both those locations that we've mentioned for both mm-hmm. uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated and, and particularly everywhere for, for unvaccinated um, as well. Uh, and, and again, this, this is not to, to single people out. The, the intent behind this is not to violate anyone's rights. It, it's simply to to have force health protection in ways and places where it's needed, right. uh, and so for uh, for 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 unvaccinated personnel, it, it's your choice whether you want to get the vaccine or not. You know, however, you have to understand that we we're, we're unfortunately still living in a COVID environment, um, and some protections still need to be in place. So, can direct line supervisors and commanders ask someone if they have received the COVID nineteen vaccine or not? So, uh, yes, so a a, a direct line supervisor can ask uh, subordinate service members whether they have been vaccinated. Uh, The the, the order does not require that supervisors to to ask about vaccine status and enforcement will rely predominantly on trust. Uh, But asking for information about receipt of the vaccine is not a HIPAA violation or a uh, Rehabilitation Act violation. Uh, Facility managers can also ask about vaccination status in order to ensure our, our health and safety uh, of personnel, which they have responsibility over. Um, and other than facility managers, service members are not required to provide vaccine information to, to non-supervisors or, or in, in, in that way. Uh, but no, no one will be you know, asking for your, your vaccine card on the spot or you know, on your, your vaccine card at, at the door to a facility on base. Uh, it, it's really just, um, for now, it's being done based on trust, and it's being done as a force health protection. Great, great. That that clears it up a lot. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to share with us um, just about uh, the vaccine process, about the masks, um, anything COVID-related that you'd like to share with us today? So with respect to the vaccines, uh, we, we would... Um, you know, still like to, to offer the vaccine to, to people who, who would still want it. Um, and so we, we are offering uh, the vaccine through, through the MEDAC uh, at, at both the uh, Newman Gym vaccination site. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it's also going to be made available to uh, children as well uh, soon. Uh, and so you can make appointments through the appointment line for that as well. Great. Uh, and again, the, the, the MEDAC will have um, access to both the Moderna vaccine uh, you know, which, which is currently approved for all adults and the mm-hmm. Pfizer vaccine, which is currently approved for adults and recently children ages 12 to 17. Wonderful. Uh, and then I think the only thing that I would like to remind everybody is that these mandates are put in place for when you are on Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield. It's still really important to remember that when you go step, step foot out into the community, that you follow whatever the mask guidelines are for wherever the store or the restaurant or the facility that you'll be visiting out into the community. Um, also, I would like to add that on 
this coming Tuesday, May 25th at 6 p.m., we will have a senior commander COVID-19 town hall via Facebook Live via the Fort Stewart Hunter Army Airfield Facebook page. Uh, so if you do have any questions regarding the new general order number one, mask guidelines, or anything COVID related, you are more than welcome to go ahead and start asking your questions online now to have them answered live during that event. And Lieutenant Colonel Gartside, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Ms. Cook. I appreciate it. Well, that is it for this edition of the Marn Report, and we will see you guys next time.